0: Have you ever wanted something so bad in life that you would do absolutely whatever it took to see that finally happen? Maybe it was a graduation, high school or college. Maybe a job you wanted, a promotion at work, a wedding, birth of a child, a fresh start, that new year, new you thing long-awaited test results, or clean bill of health? Have you ever wanted something so much that you would do whatever it took to make it happen? And those moments when those things finally happen, those are exciting moments of life. They're moments that we remember. They're moments that we cherish and we hold on to. And we never want to forget. Now... Let's flip that. Has there ever been something in your life that you have wanted to happen more than anything that never did happen? You worked at it. You hoped for it. You changed. You adapted your life in order for this thing to happen, but it didn't happen. You prayed and you prayed and you prayed, and others prayed and they prayed and they prayed. But yet, despite all of your efforts, all of your prayers, all of your work, your time, your effort, your energy, it didn't happen. You're let down. You're hurt. You're left with this hole in your life wondering, what now? It's moments like that that you long to forget. It's moments like that that cause you to fear, to worry, to hesitate. They're moments that cause doubt in your life and cause you to doubt the things that you once thought were certain. I think in our passage we're going to read today, we're going to find the disciples in the midst of one of those moments. Both a moment in which they thought something was going to happen and it didn't, but also a moment in which they wanted something to happen and they did. It's unique. It's a unique perspective. Because in this passage, we're going to find the disciples in John chapter 20, Um, verses 19. In the midst of this passage, we see the disciples and they're locked in a room. Jesus had been arrested. He'd been beaten. He had been falsely convicted, crucified, confirmed dead, buried in a rich man's tomb. And it's been three days. This man that they had chosen to follow, that they have given everything to, this man that they thought was the Messiah, they thought was the Son of God in the flesh, was dead. He was buried. Something that they wanted to be true, something they wanted to happen, and God coming and rescuing His people seemingly wasn't happening at all. Starting in verse 19, I'm going to read through the end of the chapter. We're going to focus on 19 through 23 here this morning, but I want to get the rest of this chapter. Um, So on the evening of that first day of the week when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And after he said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, "'Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you.' And with that, he breathed on them and said, "'Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven.' And now Thomas, called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. And so the other disciples told him, "'We have seen the Lord.'" But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands, and put my finger where the nails were, and I put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. And a week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. And though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands, reach out your hand and put it into my side, and stop doubting and believe. And Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. And Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. But blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. It's in the midst of a deep disappointment, fear, uncertainty, confusion that Christianity began. It started here in this locked room full of a group of scared men who were worried about their life. They had just witnessed their leader, Jesus, be crucified and buried. And these men had followed around Jesus, witnessing these incredible things that He had done, miracles... Great teachings. And now, Jesus was dead and He was buried and they were wondering what's next. And even more so here, this passage starts off and it says, on the evening of the first day of the week when the disciples were together. First day of the week is Sunday. This is three days after Jesus had been crucified. That morning, the disciples These two women ran to them and said, hey, the tomb's empty. Jesus is alive Yeah, right We we watched him die. We watched him be buried. We watched this whole stone Huge boulder be rolled in front of his tomb. No way Are you kidding me? Just go home get some sleep. You're tired But yet in that moment They're in this room and they're locked and they're afraid Afraid of the Jews because they were worried that what they just did to Jesus, they might come after them next. That they might be the next ones hanging on a cross in front of the whole city to see. And so they're hiding. They're afraid. And let's think about this for a second. Jesus was crucified, he's dead for three days. During those three days, Christianity's a joke. Everything that Jesus claimed was crazy. That was the end. Jesus was dead. He died in front of the whole city. He'd been crucified. And there's nothing special about a crucifixion other than that it's a criminal's death. And there were thousands upon thousands of them done under Roman rule and authority. It was just another death. And consequently, because Jesus was dead, nothing He did mattered beyond it just being good teachings and good deeds. The tomb was guarded by a giant boulder and some well-trained roman soldiers But yet in this moment In this moment of disappointment christianity begins in this locked room As these disciples they're sitting there. They're scared. They're wondering what's next. What do we do? Do we just go home? What about what those two women said this morning? Like that's crazy. What do we do with that? And in this moment the end of verse nineteen. It says, "Jesus came and stood among them." Okay, have you ever been in a room doing something, whether you're cleaning, whether you're watching TV, reading a book, whatever, and someone enters into the room without you knowing? What happens? You're scared. You jump. Okay, they say something. And you're like, "Oh man, didn't see you there." All right. When I was a kid, I've got three brothers, and I'm the third of four, and so my two older brothers. Uh, one younger And I kind of had this calling card Of sneaking into rooms when I was a little kid And trying to scare people right, I tried to do it quietly Well, One Saturday morning, I distinctly remember this um, My older brother Matt Was in our basement living room And he was playing video games It was probably like 7.30 in the morning I don't know, it was early I'd just woken up and our basement was set up to where the TV was on one wall and the couch and the door to the room was behind you. So he was sitting there playing. And I walk down to the room and I'm doing my typical quiet, sneaking up. And I go right up behind him on the couch, lean my arms up on the couch right behind him and say, don't mess up. He jumps. okay, And in this jumping, he kicks up his feet, smacking the coffee table. okay, And at that point, hits his toe on it. And he screams, and he's yelling at me. And that morning, Matt broke his pinky toe. And I learned that it's never a good thing to scare your older brother. So, um, younger brothers, tread carefully. All right. But in that moment, imagine the disciples here. Sitting in this room, and they're talking, and all of a sudden this guy shows up, and they're like, how in the world... The doors are locked. There's no windows. What? How'd you get in here? And they're freaking out. They're scared. They go from being scared of the Jews to all of a sudden scared of this ghost that's in the room. And I think that's why Jesus says, peace be with you. So in the midst of disappointment, uncertainty, fear, Jesus says, peace be with you. That's how He introduces Himself. He announces himself on the scene. And after he says this, he shows them his hands and his side. Because the disciples are probably like, "Uh, I think that's Jesus, but I don't really know because he's dead. And he shows them his hands and his side. And all of a sudden, the disciples are overjoyed. They're overwhelmed because Jesus is here. Holy cow, those women were right. (laughs) Okay, Jesus is here. And so they're excited. They're losing control overwhelmed with joy and excitement because what they had wanted to be true all of a sudden was true okay and jesus says peace hey guys calm down i know you're excited to see me okay cool i'm back i told you this was going to happen you didn't believe me but here i am okay relax calm down in that in that moment everything changed for those guys in that room as they went from sheer disappointment, fear, anger, uncertainty, to all of a sudden joy and excitement and certainty and holy cow, this is Jesus, the Son of God, the Messiah. Imagine yourself in that room in that moment. And Jesus says, peace be with you. Once again, he says, calm down, relax. Hey, here's the deal. Peace be with you. And he gives them here his final instructions. And we see this recorded in Matthew and the other Gospels. But what Jesus says here is, look, it's great you're here. It's great you're excited to see me. It's great. But I don't want you to stay right here. What you're doing right now is not what I want you to do. And he sends them. And so he goes on to say, um, let me find the passage. Um, In verse... 21 peace be with you as the father has sent me so i am sending you and so jesus here in this moment christianity's begun because jesus is back and he says i don't want you to sit here i don't want you to stay here i want you to go god sent me the father sent me here to earth to do what i had to do and i did it and now i want you to go it's your turn You are next. And so what I want you to know here this morning, what we need to know is that following Jesus is a sending thing. It's a doing. It's a going. Following Jesus is not what so many modern Christians have made it. In sitting in church, listening to a sermon, singing a few songs, throwing money in an offering plate. That's not how Christianity started. That's not what Jesus intended it to be. Now, those are all good things, but that's not the intent because Jesus says, As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. It's about action, going, speaking, acting, changing the world. Jesus is all about sending you and leading you and directing you and guiding you, changing your mind. And how you live. And moving you. Verse 22. goes on. He says. As the Father sent me. So I'm sending you. And with that. He breathed on them. Weird. And said. Receive the Holy Spirit. I don't like it. When people breathe on me. Alright. But that's what Jesus does here. Why? Why does he breathe on them? As I studied this passage. Um. Most of the commentaries were pointing back to Genesis chapter 2, verse 7 in the beginning. And if you remember, and I'm going to read that, and it says, Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground, and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. And they point back to that. And here in this moment, Jesus is back. The disciples realize that he was who he said he was. And Jesus says, I'm sending you. Here is something new. This is a new era. It's a new time. A new step. And so just like God in the beginning in Genesis chapter 2. breathed life into the dust. Into the human to give him life. Jesus breathes into his disciples. So just as... God breathed into Adam at the beginning. Jesus is breathing into his disciples now and he's saying, here's a new path forward. Here's a new way that I want you to follow me. Here's what I want you to do. It's a new beginning, a new era. Jesus is saying that through his life and his death and his resurrection that he has fulfilled all of the Old Testament and its loss. He's essentially saying to them in that moment, you know the Old Testament? You know those laws, the sacrifices, the rules, the prophecies that were given? I did that. I took care of that. You don't need to worry about that now. You don't have to try to attempt to be perfect anymore. Because I did that. And that price for your sin that you deserve, I covered it. I took care of it. It's done. It's over. And so in this moment... Jesus, His resurrection, He breathes and initiates the disciples and ordains them into a new ministry and into a new life. And this new era is not determined by your own performance, but instead it's determined by Jesus' performance and what He has done. No longer is salvation dependent upon following the rules of the law to A T and dotting I's It's not about doing, doing, doing Saying, saying, saying Acting, acting, acting It's no longer about meeting A perfect moral standard So that you can make yourself Right with God Instead This new era is solely About what Jesus did Through his resurrection And his life Jesus is saying It's not about you, it's about me And what I've done That's grace That's forgiveness That's righteousness The ability that Jesus has made you right with God Not by your own merit and your own works But instead by what he has done Receive the Holy Spirit Jesus is saying I am giving you The Spirit of God So that you can move forward Because I'm sending you and you're taking the Spirit of God with you here. Same Spirit that was there at the creation of the universe. Same Spirit that descended on Jesus when he was baptized. That Spirit is now given to you and I'm giving that to you. In verse 23, If you forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now on the surface... This verse is troubling. So, Ian, are you saying, or is Jesus saying here, that I have the ability to give forgiveness to people and withhold forgiveness? Like, I can forgive their sins or not? That's plausible. There's some people that believe that, but I think when you look at the surrounding context, that's not what Jesus is saying here at all. It goes back when He says... Just as the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you. So Jesus is saying that I came under the authority of God the Father, and now I'm sending you under my authority, with my power. Another translation takes this verse, and I think it puts it in a way that's easy to understand, and it catches the meaning. And it says, I send you to preach the forgiveness of sins, and people's sins will be forgiven. But if you don't proclaim the forgiveness of their sins, they will remain guilty. That's what Jesus is after here. He's saying, hey, I'm sending you. It's time to leave. And I have a message that you need to share, that you need to take to the people that you know and tell them. They're forgiven. This is what I've done. They're forgiven. And it says that when you proclaim forgiveness, people's sins will be forgiven, but when we don't, they'll remain guilty and separated from God. You see, Christianity, it didn't start with pews and sermons and songs or hour-and-15-minute-long gatherings in a building once a week. Christianity began with the resurrected Jesus, holes in His hands, holes in His side, showing up to His disciples. And them telling people about it. and saying, hey, did you hear? Jesus is alive. I saw it. I put my hands in the holes. He's alive. That's how it started. And that's what it was intended to be. Right here, Jesus is saying, it's great, you guys, that you're so excited to see me. But I don't want you to stay here I have a message for you and something that you need to go tell everybody else And jesus says I know you're not all public speakers. I know that trust me (laughs) You've followed me for the last three years. I know you're not all public speakers. I know most of you don't understand everything that I taught you I know that a lot of you guys are busy and you think you have other things to do and you do I know that you're scared about what might happen to you You're scared about what other people might think, but I have a message. And you know what? You, you have to go tell people. All you need to do is speak. All you need to do is proclaim that people's sins are forgiven because of what I've done. Romans 10.9, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised them from the dead, you will be saved. Forgiveness of sins is what Jesus is telling us to preach and to share with the world. And this message isn't very popular in our culture today, believe it or not. I was listening to a podcast a few weeks ago by Judah Smith, and he was talking about this message of forgiveness and how people don't like it. Even Christians don't like it. This idea of grace, getting something we don't deserve. Because the gospel, it doesn't make sense to our Cause and effect mindset that we have In our culture and in our world today And that cause and effect mindset is that If we do this, we get this If I do good, I'll receive good If I act a certain way I'll reap a certain reward If I work hard, I'll be blessed Doesn't make sense when it comes to the gospel We put it on repeat in our lives. We act, we talk, we do certain things so that we can get certain things, or at least that's how it works in our minds. And Judas Smith, he goes on and he says that because of Jesus, it's more like, hey, we did bad, we're getting good. Okay? Do bad, get good. Keep doing bad, keep getting better. That's the gospel. That's the forgiveness of sins. That's grace. That's mercy. And the fact is that Jesus hasn't only forgiven us for all the sins that we've already done and the wrong things we've already done. He's already forgiven you for what you're going to do. Think about that. Do bad, get good. Doesn't make sense in my mind. Because I was told, hey, you got to work hard so you can make money, so that you can get a house, so you can support your family, and then, you know what, God will bless you. And so we put these thoughts and these ideas in our mind that, hey, you know, if I do certain things, if I want to be blessed, I need to walk in the ways of God. We come up with this mindset, as for me and my house, because we serve the Lord, God will bless our home. Because we want it to be cause and effect We want it to we want to have control over it because when we don't and we can't have control over it My prides hurt I got to be able to do something About it I got to be able to be the cause of this And jesus says here that It's not about you It's not about what you've done, what you're going to do, what you think you're doing good. That doesn't matter. Look what I already did. Jesus says here that He will persuade them to receive the Lord. All we have to do is preach forgiveness. Say, hey, your sins are forgiven. All we have to do is receive it and accept it. Foundation of our faith, the foundation of Christianity is not a set of principles and rules or expectations or even the Old Testament or the New Testament. That's not the foundation of our faith. So often we put our foundation in those things. But instead, the foundation of our faith is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it's His resurrection. It's the fact that He came... Back to life three days later, that gives authority to the Old Testament, gives authority to the New Testament, it gives authority to the teachings of the apostles, it gives authority to his own teachings as to how we should live our lives. Jesus first, this second. We're five days into the start of 2020 in this new decade. Insert 2020 joke here. My hopes and my prayers are for two things right now. As I've thought about this, as I've prepared for this message for several weeks now, two things. The first is this, is that I hope and I pray that each one of you would know that there is no fear, there's no shame, there's no guilt, there's no condemnation in Jesus Christ. If you've accepted him as your Lord and Savior, you have been made right with God. We know that in our heads. But do you believe that in your heart? Does that affect the way that you see yourself and the way that you see the world around you and the people around you? That's my first open prayer, is that you would know that you would believe That by the grace of God, you have been made righteous, you've been made holy, and that you are forgiven. You don't have to be controlled by shame and guilt and sin and doubt. Jesus took all of that so that you could be set free from those things, so that you could experience life. I hope and I pray that you would truly believe that in this next year, starting today, right now. So that that can transform the way that you see yourself and the people around you The second thing that i'm hoping and i'm praying for moving beyond just Being a group of individuals here. We are a church and a body of jesus christ. We're his followers We've been sent And so the second thing that i'm hoping and praying for is that you would come to see and believe that there is nothing more important in this life than sharing the message of the forgiveness of sins. Hey, Jesus says, hey, I'm here. Great, you're excited. Don't worry about all that other stuff. Here's the message. Tell people their sins are forgiven. Tell people I'm alive. Because what's more important than telling people that their sins are forgiven? Hey, you've been made right with God. What? What do you mean? It doesn't make sense. The bad, the error, the wrong... In your life, the, the sins, the things that you hate yourself for, forgiven. They're gone. What? How? How? Jesus. He's alive. He be death. He forgave your sins. Well, that's great, but how do I know that's true? Just ask God to show you that He's real. That's all it takes. Just ask God to show you that he's real because I think the disciples in this room, they realized that God was very real when he walked into that room everything changed for them in those moments and we don't need to convince people that's not our job God says, you just tell the message I'll do the rest my Holy Spirit, he'll move and he'll work in people and he'll draw people to me So all we have to do is proclaim the message Receive it accept it and god will take care of the rest The church Was not built upon buildings. It wasn't built upon traditions and songs and sermons you guys People were moving Jesus had sent them They were sharing what they had seen and what they had heard that jesus was alive that he had risen from the dead There were eyewitness accounts of Jesus being alive and people seeing and interacting with Jesus that numbered in the hundreds and thousands. It was that movement that changed our world. It was that movement that got us into this room today. And so what we are, we follow in a long line of eyewitnesses of Jesus People that say, hey, Jesus is alive. That's why we're here. That's why I'm here. That's why I'm a pastor. Not because I think the Bible tells us a decent way to live. It's because Jesus is alive. He rose from the dead. The evidence is overwhelming. I hope and I pray that you're sitting in this room because you believe that Jesus is alive know that we follow this long line of eyewitnesses that proclaim the resurrection of Jesus and they never stopped despite facing death and the worst things imaginable. That's what we follow. And the reality is, is that that is what we are called to. Jesus gives this message to his disciples and he says, as the Father sent me, I'm sending you. But he's saying that to you. As God sent me, I'm sending you today, right now. Preach the forgiveness of sins, because if you don't, how are people going to know? In that room, three days after the death of Jesus, everything changed for them. They went from being scared to being bold, afraid of death, to willing to die for what they had seen I'm praying and I'm hoping that you would see that God is sending you to proclaim this message of forgiveness. I send you to preach the forgiveness of sins and people's sins will be forgiven, but if you don't proclaim the forgiveness of the sins, they will remain guilty. Summing up the whole point of John's Gospel and the point of this passage, verse 31, these... Are written to you that you may believe that jesus is the christ the son of god And that by believing you may have life in his name That's why they wrote this book Is because they were able to see jesus but they knew there's going to be a lot of people that won't see jesus So we got to tell them about it So the question I have to ask is In this new year, in this new decade, are we going to be a church? Are we going to be individuals that say, you know what? The message of Jesus is the most important thing. If we make that our most important thing, any problems in this church are gone. Guarantee it. They're not going to matter. Finances, attendance, whatever. You name it. Those things aren't going to matter. Because we're all about multiplying God's kingdom because you know what he sent us And that's what we're gonna do